Are you okay? Don't care. Great. Bring on the bubbly. Babe. <laughs>
And, no, you're not and, wrong. Like I'm thinking know, about like, oh yeah, let's let's have a drink to feel better. Like what? Right. Right. But but it absolutely is is a, a functional part of society, whether or not we want it to be. Um, and and I say functional because it it's you know a huge source of uh, uh, revenue for the country for 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 the world, um, yeah, as shit. well as I mean it. It, it is such a huge part of every single society. I don't know of a single, you know, as far as, as I'll say as far as nationalities go or as far as countries or different cultures, uh, the, alcohol isn't integrated into every single one of them. I mean, look at, look at the Abbey, uh, Abbey ales that came out of Belgium where monks were brewing this stuff literally to stay alive through the winter. Um, you know, I, I've, I've done a lot of studying about the history of alcohol. Yeah, um, sounds like it. Well, and since before getting sober too, because being a bartender, I, it's it's your it's your work, and you want to understand your work. Um, at least I do. I'll speak for myself. Yeah, um, no, for and, sure. <laughs> and and alcohol alcohol accomplishes a lot of incredible things. I mean, uh, and so to 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 demonize the it's not the alcohol's fault to demonize the alcohol uh is is counterproductive it it doesn't accomplish anything oh my um, gosh i've never heard of it that way babe yeah well and and it's kind of like it, it's it's not the fault of the trauma either that i was trying to uh ease or trying to forget about through consumption of alcohol it it's the it's the disease and and that's why i i can't speak for anyone but myself because i absolutely have a disease my relationship with alcohol is different than that of anyone else that i've ever met including other alcoholics there are similarities there are parallels i mean shit the the time i spent in aa that i'll tell you a little bit more about later um they still use the same book that was published in the 50s and there's a lot wrong with that in my opinion there's a lot of dated text a lot of dated concepts uh, a lot of honestly offensive concepts a lot of a lot of the the ideals that fundamentally are right are written in very confusing ways <laughs> um in today's day and age um but it, it, the parallels remain um but to that end my experience is still unique and has to be treated as such just like everybody else um and so it the fact that you're hungover is fucking awesome in my opinion because <laughs> God, you stop it. because no because you were celebrating last night you knew you were going to be celebrating it it you you took the time whether consciously or not to 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 decide why you were going to be drinking that night you know instead of it just being a given and and i don't think that people who do drink every night as a given necessarily have a drinking problem Maybe they need to like on a health level, take a few breaks now and then, you know, and figure out maybe other changes they can make in their life that would not lead them to feel the need to drink every night. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they have a disease. That doesn't necessarily mean that their, their body is chemically interacting with the alcohol in a unique way, um, in, in, a, in a destructive, unique way. I want to. Yeah. So you're saying like that. it's. 
when people ask you, Cody, and we'll get into again, yeah, 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 yeah. part two of your story, but just to kind of kick things off, like when people ask you, well, what's an alcoholic? Like, how do you define an alcoholic? Like, I don't get up and drink in the morning, so I'm not an alcoholic. Or, you know what I mean? Like, I'm sure you hear that a lot. I absolutely do. And they're in the same vein of what I've just been saying there, in my opinion, there, there is no, there is no, you know, universal dictionary definition of, of alcohol, of what, of what makes an alcoholic, uh, in my opinion. Um, I, I think that if someone recognizes through, through someone else telling them through a discovery of their own, that for whatever reason, they might be consuming more alcohol than is healthy. They can make the decision to call themselves an alcoholic, but it's part of why in every recovery process, you announce to whatever group you are that you have a problem with whatever substance or whatever experience you're trying to work through. Um, because it's not about the label. It's not about what other people are calling you. It's about what you're calling yourself. And I'll never forget the first time that I called myself an alcoholic out loud, it was in Chicago. I went to go see, you're gonna absolutely shit when I tell you this little tidbit. Oh my gosh. I um, was going to get my medical exam done for our contract together. Yes, on um, the ship. On the ship. And I failed my first medical exam because my white blood cell count was so low and my liver enzymes were so high. Now Whoa. I hadn't been to a doctor in years. Uh, so I had no kind of medical reality check to, to, to measure anything with. Um, and so I went to get a second opinion from a doctor that was not the one prescribed by the cruise line. Uh, kind of like what I said last week about going around to a doctor that also smokes, who will give you permission to keep right, smoking. Like trying to get and, the answers that you want to hear. Mm -hmm, without changing anything in my life. Now, I told you that I'd gotten my withdrawals down to a science. Um, well, I started looking up ways to quickly uh, level out your liver enzymes and, what, and increase so that I could pass a fucking medical exam to get on this damn boat. Um, Holy crap. So I went to a different doctor who in order, <laughs> in order <laughs> to sign the documents that would clear me medically, he sent me to a hematologist who tested my blood and explained to me what alcohol was doing to my blood. Um, and the doctor also made me say out loud, that I had a problem before what? he would sign, before he would sign the document. He said, this is for, I believe this is for your own good. I want to hear you say that you have a drinking problem. I want to hear you say the words, I am an alcoholic because you have admitted to me, he was saying all of this to me. You've admitted to me that you drink too much. You've admitted to me that going through withdrawals scared you. Cause I had, I didn't have anyone else to tell at the time. And, and you were just and trying to understand. Said, and he said, but not once did you use the word alcoholic. Not once did you use these trigger words. And I believe he was saying that if you say it, it will at some point manifest as reality in your mind. And you know what? He was right. It was just four years later. 
Yeah, it um, was like all these seeds were being planted for you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, no, tying it all around, full circle, I believe that someone can define alcoholism in any way that rings true within their experience. Fair, makes sense to me. I was just like wondering what your experience with those comments were, or like is. Yeah, and, and, and people are always very tentative to talk about this in any forum, across the bar, uh, because it does come up. Um, but it's people, people are very tentative to, to, to use those trigger terms um, or to even infer that you have slash had a problem. Um, and you know what? I appreciate that, that candor for the, for the sake of the first part of my sober journey, because it was hard to talk about. It was hard to admit to people. I would go on dates, uh, probably very, way too early in my experience, in my, in my, in my sober journey. We're just trying to get back to normal. Right. They always say, uh, you know, don't start a new relationship for the first year of your sobriety, at least. Um, that has always kind of been a, 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 a rule, a very hearty suggestion, um, at least in the Alcoholics Anonymous world, that that I've borrowed quite a bit from. I've borrowed so much uh, from AA in my, because my God, they've been getting people sober for going on a hundred years now. Clearly something's working. Um, it just turned out to not be the right prescription for me uh, in its entirety, but I definitely spent a lot of time in those rooms and, and ended up borrowing a lot. Uh, just kind of tweaking it to yeah to fit it sounds the, like you've been working puzzle. on yeah your own kind of like thesis mm-hmm. and i love that you're unpacking that nobody's journey is similar or the same and it's like this like kind of cocktail if you will of things perfect oh my god i love that i'm stealing it yeah this cocktail of things that you're going to use to get sober as yeah. fucked up as that sounds so cody last week you came out about your story, about being an alcoholic on a public platform. So before we get into your climb, your rise to sobriety, part two of your journey, what has that been like for you? Because I've had multiple people reach out to me about your story. Like, has it been surreal? What What it's are you been, feeling? It's been, it's been uh, wonderful. Uh, I don't really have, it's not surreal because I, I, I never, I never, I certainly didn't expect people to be messaging me directly so quickly after it was released. That, that was, that was, that was just wonderful. Um, because I, I have, I have posted things on Instagram and, and, and like announced my, my sobriety milestones, but I really haven't told any of the story behind it. Um, mm-hmm. And and I, I figured I might hear from a couple people, but through the things that you have forwarded me and, and people reaching out to me directly on Facebook, on Instagram, some people I haven't spoken to in 15 years, some people I don't know. Um, it's, been, it's been really inspiring for me uh, to maybe find ways to keep doing this to keep yeah. talking about this because yes. it 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 means so much to me and and it and I and I 
I never feel, I'm always the student, right? I, both in every, in every facet of my life, I never, no matter how good I get at something, I, I never feel like I've mastered it. I always want to know more about it. Um, and so this is as much for me as it is for, for those of you listening um, and for you, Teeny, for anyone who, who happens to cross paths and, and intersect with my story. Um, I'm learning just as much by talking about this and from you as, as you are from me. Uh, and I think, that's the way most relationships should work. <laughs> yeah, so. but you know, it's so fucking crazy that I'm having people reach out to me who have similar stories to you, Cody. Yeah. Like, yeah. That I, again, I had no idea. And I, I, I actually want to take this opportunity to say to all of you listening um, that anything and everything that I say on this forum or in any future forum is in no way medical advice. I'm not a medical professional. Uh, I'm an artist. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm not a scientist. I'm not good at math. Uh, but I have lived through this for, for the majority of my adult life. And um, I have been very attentive in the last few years in my reflection on it, in my study of it. Um, and so I, I have a lot to share about my own experience. Now, if you yeah. happen to find, if you happen to find parallels to your own, um, absolutely reach out to someone that you trust a doctor. Uh, if you don't have someone, a medical professional to reach out to reach out to a friend, family. If you don't have that, if you don't, it could be because I didn't for so long. I didn't for yeah. eight years. I had no one that I trusted, not my partners, not not my family, um, even though they were there and willing so to hear loved. me. Yeah, you're yeah, so I, I loved. Am. I am, but I didn't. I didn't love myself. I know. We like, <laughs> and so how can I feel crazy. the love from other people? You you have to be able to love yourself before you can feel loved uh, by anyone else. So please reach out to me directly. Um, my, I'll just say it. She'll probably say it again uh, at the end of the podcast. But it's it's Cravenation. Uh, C-R-A-V-E-N-A-T-I-O-N on Instagram. Um, and just say, hey, and ask a question if you have a question. I, I'm never going to make assumptions. I'm always just going to probably ask questions as well. Um, I'm really good at answering questions with questions. Thank um, you, babe. That's really sweet of you yeah. to open your DMs like that. So, hundred percent. This is what I was going to say. Since I've been posting like these pictures, I I went through a pretty severe physical transformation in the early stages mm -hmm. of my sobriety, and I was very proud of that. Uh, I was yeah. I was proud enough to post about it, and and people. I, and again, I didn't really advertise that it was because I was sober or that I had finally admitted that I had a problem and sought help. But people saw that I was making changes in my life. And so those that that happened to notice the, the sobriety hashtags and, and the little hints here and there, people reached out. And, and now it's it, the, the number's got to be nearing 100 uh, of, of people that I know and don't know that have reached out. And, and I'm not saying just people get, saying high five, you know, well done. I'm saying people that wanted to start a discussion with me. So yeah. absolutely, the invitation is open. Um, I, I, will be, I will be having this discussion for the rest of my life. So Doing God's uh, the, the work more, over here, honey. Oh, you back at you. <laughs> back at you, sister. So let's pick back up, yeah? Yes, let's go back. Let's, let's yeah. revisit. So you were at your rock bottom, Cody. You were <laughs> hospitalized. You... Um, had made the decision to go home to California. 
Yes. And, you know, for a long time, I loved telling people that it was my decision, that I woke up one day and was just miraculously, that trip to the hospital was different than all the ones before it. Uh, and it and it inspired me. No, that wasn't the case at all. And I, it's important to me that I be absolutely accurate about this. I had hit the level of rock bottom that would send people without a family uh, willing to accept them onto the street. And I don't, I, I had been technically homeless for, for quite a while, um, living with friends, uh, staying with partners, doing whatever I needed to do to put a roof over my head um, in between contracts or not. Uh, but I had always had some place to go. And mm -hmm. finally, I didn't have anywhere to go. And my mom offered a, a plane ticket and an open door in California. And I took it with at the uh, intention at the time of only going home for a couple months just to like reset and I'll be back to the point where my partner and I at the time stayed together. And yeah. we're like, and was like, I'll see you soon. You know, she held on to half of my stuff, which that's a very long story. I still <laughs> don't have it back. If anyone happens to be listening and knowing of whom I speak and happens to know a way to get my stuff back. Give me my fucking great. shit back. I've written, I've written two songs with the hook, give me my shit back. Stop um, it, Cody. I have not, I've never played them live, but they're, they're for me. Um, Oh, anyway, God. But, but talk about so burning I, I those hopped, bridges, right? So, oh, absolutely. So, really, I hopped. Oh, go ahead. No, please, please, please. Sorry, I just, I'm so curious what that phone call with your mom was before you got on that plane. <sighs> okay. So, yeah, excellent place to pick back up timeline wise. Um, I woke up the next morning, and this is after, for those of you that heard the episode last week, um, this is after I'd gotten home from being told that I was going to die if I didn't stop drinking soon. Like the, the doctor genuinely said, you won't make it to 30. Um, and still my first thought was, where's my next drink? Oh, there's still a third of a bottle of rum left that I didn't manage to cram into my body before blacking out while I was being told all of this information. So I went back to the apartment. My, my partner at the time made me dump it all out and i was excruciating i will i will still i will never forget how that feel physically feeling the pain of watching that alcohol go down the drain when i had spent so much of my time awake just thinking about where to get it yeah so you're like this I mean, is precious you know it, it like truly made me understand people who have recovered from a meth addiction or right. or or a, a harder drug that, that has a, a bigger stigma than alcohol um you know talking about combing through their shag carpeting looking for rocks it was that mentality yeah. just about okay. something that is readily available on the street corner you know and um so i woke up the next morning um and i say morning i'm sure it was like one i had no mm -hmm. concept of time yeah. And woke up to my partner just sitting there next to the bed, looking at me, you know, and uh, that I, I don't so much want to talk about that conversation because there was a lot of other of course. baggage that went into that conversation than just my addiction and, and the night before. But I called my mother. Now, now uh, 
both of my parents had received calls the night before from, from my girlfriend, uh, telling them what, that I was in the hospital, telling them what had happened. Uh, so they, they both so knew, they knew and they were kind of waiting for me to call. Uh, and I, I, I did, I called my mom. It took me, it took me a while to call my dad. Um, because I, I genuinely had to had no concept of how that was going to go. And for um, anyone who doesn't know your parents are separated. So oh, yes, my, my parents, uh, the, my parents split up when I was three months old, um, divorced when I was six. Uh, my, my dad remarried and my half sister was born when I was 10. So we're 10 years apart. Uh, but I was an only child, uh, in a, in a, in a divided household, uh, or I should say households, um, until I was 10. And, and then it was still divided because that, you know, that custody battle lasted until I was 18 and they legally couldn't fight over me anymore. (laughs) Um, (laughs) so I called my mom and yes, one thing that remained true, no matter where our relationship was my, my mom and I, because it talk about peaks and valleys. I mean, uh, a single mom, uh, for my whole life, taking care of a ranch on her own, working full time until she retired when I was in high school, while also taking care of me with my crazy ass uh, extracurriculars, most of the most of which I had no interest in until I found theater. Um, you know, we're talking nine years in community soccer and I scored two yes. goals over the course of nine years. And the first one was for the other team. So my, my track record was great athletically. Um, Stop it. My mom was a damn superhero, right? So, but, but we, we, man, we clashed because we're both the most stubborn people I know. We are the two most stubborn people I know. Um, and, and through it all, I knew she'd always pick up the phone. That was never in question. Um, and she was just, so happy that I was okay. Yeah. And to be greeted with that energy after years of hypotheticals of what would happen if I called her and told her, if I, if I, if if she had found out about one of the other hospital visits, you know, I'd thought so much about how that conversation would go. So to be greeted with the energy of, I'm just so glad you're okay. Now, please, please come home. And get well. My brain didn't say, hell yeah, let's get well. I have a problem. Fix it. You know, it was, well, I have nowhere else to go. And now it's time to make these people happy so that I can get what I need to keep going. So it was like, yeah. Yeah. Because oh I, had been in, I had been in survival mode yeah. for so long. It was genuinely about where am I going to sleep? Where's my next drink? Where's my next meal? Um, <sighs> and it kind of didn't matter what I had to say or do to get there. Um, I, I had absolutely become a, a pathological liar to the point where I genuinely would forget I was lying because everything that people knew about me to be true pretty much wasn't. Um, we're talking in person, we're talking online. Um, babe, the the posts that you saw on the internet from the time I left our contract to the time I got sober, every single image of me had been photoshopped. I had gone in and altered every every image that I was putting 
on the internet of myself because I looked so different. I mean, I'm even talking about just that summer after I saw you to that summer until I did my first contract of once. I, I physically changed so much because yeah. of the amount of alcohol that was in my system um, that I was embarrassed. And, yeah. I, and I didn't want to be called out for it. I wanted plausible deniability, right? Um, and I'm, I'm a pretty darn good graphic artist. I, it's, it's one of my <laughs> I'm many- I'm like, yeah, like what? It's one of my, well, I, I, I started back in high school. I went to a dope ass high school and we had Photoshop as an elective. So I, I've, I've turned it into a, a career for myself, a little, yeah. a little side hustle. And, and so I'm, I'm good at it. And I fucking used it. Absolutely. I did. Um, and that and, goes hand in hand with reuniting with your mom, right? Because, well, no, I was, I was so uh, willing to do anything and tell her that I was ready to do anything that would make her happy and, and widen the already very open arms that she was ready to, to embrace me with. Um, and so I feigned enthusiasm. I, I pretended to be so excited to get sober when really I was like, oh no, this is just a chance to go home. She'll I'll have money again. And I'll be, I'm sure I'll be able to keep it a secret from her. It was some like really horrible shit that was going through my, my head about this. And so, yeah, um, I, I said, all right, mom. I mean, she, she was talking about flying out here, renting a car to get all of my stuff and driving back because she could hear it in my voice. I'm sure that, that my, my mentality about it was very temporary. And totally. she was and she's like, like, no, she was like, no, let's get you out here without anything to go back to. Um, I think she had it in her mind that my relationship was on its way out, which <laughs> anybody who Mother seen knows us, best, <laughs> but also anybody who had seen the two of us together. I mean, just just had to know. I mean, it was a very Sid and Nancy situation. Um, but so I packed up my stuff, a suitcase and my guitar and. Uh, my partner called the car and I hopped in the car, hugged her goodbye, said, see you in a couple months. Um, and at this point, so called, called, uh, called mom the, the morning after made the plan called dad. We're not gonna talk about that. I got a few calls for, from some other people that one of whom I actually didn't know had stopped by the hospital to, to see me, but I oh, wow. wasn't, I wasn't with it yet. Um, got calls from some people just to say, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you're okay. You know, that was kind of the extent of that because it wasn't their place and they knew it to say more. Um, so I then went through detox. Now the, the ER doctor suggested that I not be released that night and that I stay in house for detox. In detox. Um, yeah. Um, because the, my blood alcohol level was so high. Um, it was, for, for those of you that care or know what this means, it was uh, 0.632. Um, that's insanely high. Yeah, I don't know what that uh, means, but I mean, I'm going to take your word for it. <laughs> yeah, so so on cruise ships, the limit is 0 0.08. Yeah, and driving, was, same thing, right? Same, but I was 0.6, right? Like that's, it. it was they obviously they they pumped 
they pumped my stomach. They, they put me on an IV to flush my system. I mean, they got it out of me as quickly as possible because I wasn't waking up. Right. Yeah. Um, so I detoxed, I, I opted to be released. I opted to go home. Um, because I, both my partner and I needed to process what had just happened. Uh, it was, it was kind of the, we couldn't really staying there for a week seemed really extreme to both of us, which hindsight probably wasn't, but we were like, no, let's go home and reevaluate in that the moment. Next, in that moment, the next morning I woke up, called mom, called dad, did the thing, made the plan to come back to California and then called the detox facility and made the plan to go in the next morning and do and detox in Harlem public Harlem general Harlem general sounds like a daytime soap opera. <laughs> um, but, uh, I, I made the plan and I went in and okay. teeny I'm telling you right now, it was a, it was a really frightening sight to go to a public New York hospital. I mean, yeah, I was going to say just the, the New York hospital in general is terrifying. Well, the ER is one thing, but the hospital is different. It's funded differently. It's, it's a, just a different in a lot of ways. And we walked in and we both looked at each other and, and we, we had sat, we sat there for a minute and we're like waiting to be helped. And then we just looked at each other and went, she she said I can't leave you here and I said I can't stay here I mean it okay. was it was it was really bad but that said she needed to not be near me for a while and I needed to not be near her for a while so she went back home uh f which was in Pennsylvania so not far um but she took a bus um and her parents had come in because they obviously had found out what had happened and they had kind of helped usher her out of town but this was so we decided i wasn't going to stay but her parents were coming that night to, to help her out and and travel home with her so I, I she she and i went to a key place got a key made i sat in a starbucks while her parents came in because she couldn't admit to them that she was going to let me stay at her place while yeah. i detoxed because i needed a safe place to detox and i literally had nowhere else to go mm -hmm. so i remember i was playing some game on my on my phone like sweating through my clothes in this starbucks going through these withdrawals wait just waiting for that that green light to get into that apartment and i stayed on that unmade bed because we oh we had just moved the day after when i woke up was our moving day into this new apartment. So I, in my condition, oh no my joke, no joke, helped her move all <laughs> of our stuff up a fourth flight walk up. Um, I threw up three times Ugh. in the moving process, um, but it, we didn't have a choice. It's New York. You make a move date, you do it. Oh, yeah. Someone is coming in where you were and someone is waiting for you to be there in the new place. There was no, there was kind of no exception. And it was a push, but you know, I, I, I'd pushed harder. So, <laughs> but, um, I detoxed on an unmade bed in this brand new spanking strange apartment watching superstore on my phone. Um, and, and anyway, she, she, my partner came back a few days later and stuck me in a car and my mom had bought me a plane ticket and I, flew home and the scariest 
part about that whole, that whole week to me is thinking back on my mother having to pick me up from the airport. And much later, she, she disclosed to me that she didn't recognize me at all. I had, I had gained a, a bunch of weight in inorganic places in my body. My face was just a, the wrong shape. Um, I had no color it, to, my, to my skin at all. Um, my, my hands were peeling. It is a horribly grotesque side effect of extreme dehydration and, and really? uh, blood toxicity. Your, your, your fingers start to callous and peel uh, because your skin is literally dying and can't re and can't regenerate quickly enough yeah um and i had an industrial piercing through my ear that she'd never seen before and twice as many tattoos as the last time she'd seen me and um and just to hear her tell me that she did after receiving all this news and and you know years of of rocky relationship with her son to to not recognize him and picking him up from the from the airport. That's, that's hard. That's still hard for me to traumatize. Yeah. Um, but that said, I had stopped being able to recognize myself. I, yeah. I wasn't myself. I, I knew what I looked like in the mirror, but it wasn't me. Um, and so moving forward, I got home. I made a plan to go to a meeting and here's how kind of fresh and in the dark, both my mom and I were to the world of recovery. I said, all right, mom, I'm gonna go to an AA meeting. I found one and she just gave me the car keys and I hopped in the car and right. drove into town and abso-fucking-lutely went into that first meeting, sober and proud and and living on top of my pink cloud. Now, for those of you not in the, in the sober community, the pink cloud is a term for that early stage of sobriety, whether it's the first 24 hours or the first week or the first month, year, two years, five years. The pink cloud can last any amount of time, but the, the idea is that life is just so great without all of the challenges that, that alcohol abuse introduces. Um, you know, you're not waking up hungover every day. You aren't, your first thought isn't, where's my next drink? It, it, there, you have so much more mental capacity. It's just, it's really incredible to experience that pink cloud. But then life eventually always gets hard again. Mm-hmm. And that's why we, most of us drink in the first place is when shit gets hard. And that's, and that's where relapse comes in. Um, and I don't so, know. Did you relapse, Cody? You're getting there. Well, You're getting there. I, oh, yeah. So uh, at this point, I'm a week sober. I go to my first meeting, living on my pink cloud, introduce myself to everyone. I'm just my charming ass of self. Course. My charming ass self that like for some reason still seemed to work even though I looked like an absolute nightmare. Stop um, it. No, but like, you know what I mean? Like, it just, I know. I, I, it was, it, I, I was, I was a fright to look at. Often. Yeah, but you're a talented really, actor, right? Like, you know how no, we're right. I played the game. I played the fucking game. Yeah, exactly. it was all a game. It had all been a game. Like I said before, nothing was really true. I didn't even know what the fuck was really true. So I go through this meeting. I'm feeling so good about myself. I get to the car to go home and I think, this is the first time I've had money. 
without someone looking over my shoulder for for forever. Of course, I walked around the corner to the fucking Trader Joe's and in California, grocery stores sell liquor. You bet your ass I bought that cheap ass $10 bottle of TJ's vodka and took it home with me. And I kept up that facade in front of my mother for a month. No. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So you were what, drinking in private? Drinking drinking a lot? Drinking alone. No. Drinking what, as I liked to call it, drinking intelligently. Um, (laughs) You know, like not not drinking to excess when I knew I'd be around my mom. Right. Um, But I was still always a little drunk. Always. And you were going to meetings? Um, Going to meetings and very quickly started drinking in meetings. Um, What? Oh, 100%. Drinking in the meeting. Oh yeah, and it actually started to become the the most attractive part about going to a meeting for me was it's the same mentality behind kleptomaniacs. Getting away with it. Looking for the thrill, getting away with it. Part of the reason I lie so much is because I would pride myself in the fact that I was still managing to fucking dupe people. God, how sick is that, you know? Sure, but we can call it, it made, sick. No, but... no, no. We, I, I call it sick because I look at myself as being very sick at this time of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, uh, so I can, I kept this up and, and, and was, who knows how much I was actually fooling people. Uh, part of the reason it's been so hard, it, it was always so hard for me to talk to my dad um, about all of this uh, is because alcoholism has always run in his side of the family. Um, And he had been warning me about it since high school. Now, he had also been one of my favorite drinking buddies. Um, And and I'm not saying to excess, but man, our our father-son moments, albeit few growing up, just him being a musician, he was gone a lot. He... He was always working and, and so was I. I was busy as hell too. I mean, in high school, I just was non-fucking-stop. Um, and he, through it all, he would remind me, be sure that you want your next drink, not that you need it. And little things like that, which of course, as a, a son, I was like, fucking dad. Like, yeah, all right, dad. I started going to meetings just because I'd get excited about drinking. It was a fun place to drink because no one knew and, and other people. And here's how fucking sick it is. And, and the only way that I feel okay admitting any of this is, is again, because I look at how far I have come since this experience. It's kind of like, I don't need to justify to anyone anymore why I'm successful. All I need to do is just tell people to look at, look at the last few years of my life and it it speaks for itself because I finally figured it out but back then it I people would come in drunk to these meetings they would come in and talk talk about some incredible life experience going going to a meetings um talk about character research (laughs) oh as an actor And, and you know what I I do miss I do miss the therapy I do, because even though I was drinking, it was incredible therapy. And I hadn't been to therapy since I was forced to in high school to get along with my mom better. You know, I hadn't ever talked about myself to a therapist. 
And this was group therapy, man. I mean, some of these people had 40 years under their belt. And I did find that inspiring, but here's why it didn't work for me. Because it had started to turn into a trigger to drink, just going to a meeting because of that drive to feel like I'm just getting away with something. Yeah. And everyone says in AA that relapse is part of recovery. In my experience, this is a hard one for me because to a degree I agree. Yeah. But, but all that did in my early stages of sobriety was give me permission to keep relapsing. Yeah. Okay. Because I, I because saying. I could, because I could still tell people I was in recovery. I could just go into the meeting the next day, tell them about my relapse, start back at day one. Make and it I okay. Was still, and I was still a part of the family. It was still okay. People still came up and hugged me and asked if I was okay afterwards. And I, I could just do it again. There was no sense of real accountability. Okay. So now, now where are you at? So we're, a, I've been home for about a month and been going to meetings, but been drinking under the table increasingly. So once again, it got out of control. Okay. I'd been home going to these meetings for a few weeks um, and drinking it, it, again in, in a progressively increasing amount. Um, and one night, I left the bottle out and fell asleep on the couch and my mom walked upstairs and it was all over. It mm. was, it, she, she had caught me. I had gotten sloppy, obviously. I was a sloppy human. And she rightfully so called the paramedics and an ambulance showed up at my house. Uh, I live on a chicken ranch that I grew up <laughs> on. So the nearest town is two and a half miles away. Luckily, there is an ambulance stationed there at all times that will then take me into the nearest hospital, which is about a 20 minute drive. Okay. Um, my mom calls the ambulance. They get there. They're super duper nice as all most, I'll say all in my experience, all EMTs are um, no matter what shape I'm in. But here's the thing. I had just fallen asleep. I wasn't like debilitatingly drunk like I had been in New York they get there I wake up they kind of get me in they I'm clearly out of it but they get me in the ambulance they take me into the hospital and at this point I've woken up and I'm coherent and I have turned off the drunk and turned on the convincing everyone I'm okay which mm -hmm. was a thing I'd figured out how to do man ah. no matter how fucking pissed I was pissed meaning wasted I could most of the time flip it on enough to convince people that I was sober. Like it was, it was a crazy trick, but I convinced these folks at the hospital that I was okay, that they didn't need to test my blood. And they were like, I, and that my mom was just an overly concerned parent and they released me. And so my mom took me home, but that's where I lost my car privileges. That's where the accountability started. That's okay. where that's where things started to like push me in an undeniable, an undeniably sober direction. Um, so my mom starts driving me to these meetings. Um, my mom's retired, still full-time job taking care of a two acre chicken ranch. Don't get me wrong. Um, but she did have the time to drive me to these meetings and make sure I got there 
and sit and wait and read in the car because she didn't want to waste gas driving home because my mom gives so many shits about the planet. Like, that's just an example. Like, yes, like lovely hippie human. Like crunchy granola human being. But she would drive me in every single day. Um, and I, God bless my mom. She is the most gullible person and I've known it my whole life. And I- Well, we know how to fool our parents. We're not stupid. Yeah, Grew up my with mom's like exceptionally gullible. And mom, I know you're <laughs> listening right now. You didn't listen to last week because I told you not to, but you're listening now and I apologize for this whole next chapter um, because I still found a way to pick up alcohol. How? To get, to, as it is often said, an alcoholic will always find his next drink. I know. I don't matter what. That. And God damn it, I proved it. Oh boy. So I stole mom from, uh, I stole mom. <laughs> I, stole mo- <laughs> I stole money from my mom. I just like a fucking elementary school kid going into his mom's purse. I stole money. Yeah. And I, and I, would tell her I was going to a meeting, literally walk through the meeting, say what's up to a couple people, walk out the other door, Cody. walk around the corner. Oh, no joke. Walk around the corner to the same fucking Trader Joe's, knowing my mom was in the car reading her book, buy a bottle, drink it, be on my phone, call whoever, be ready to get picked up. My mom started not letting me take bags because she either through catching me or starting now remember this is like this we're moving through weeks now this is yeah yeah yeah. really this is really moving through time and it's my mom clearly is just fighting because she knows i'm 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 still drinking she just doesn't know how to stop me and uh she has started to go to al-anon meetings to try to figure out how the fuck to stop me um and everybody just told her you can't (laughs) you know like he's gonna figure it out i mean there was a time I walked two and a half miles at three in the morning into the nearest town to go buy a handle of vodka and walked back in the middle of the night, in the middle of the country, just to get it. You know what I mean? Like it was insane what I would, the lengths to which I was willing to go. And then I would, so my mom wasn't letting me take bags to these meetings anymore. So I would shove the bottle down the back of my pants and make sure to wear a jacket that was long enough to cover it. And sit there in the front seat with her with this bottle of booze up my ass and manage to get it into the house. I'm astonished. So, so then there's another hospital experience. It was on my birthday. I'd convinced my mom that I was doing well enough to be left alone uh, at, at a movie theater to watch a movie for my birthday by myself. Went out, bought a bottle of booze, fell asleep in the movie, woke up, missed, had already gotten, had somehow already gotten a job at a restaurant, missed my first shift at work because I just didn't care. Um, And wound up at some girl's house that I had met on some dating app and was just plastered, called my mom to come pick me up from this random person's house. By the time I got home, I was so wasted that I went upstairs and fell face first into my bed frame. I still have stitches. I still have a scar on my eyebrow. Busted my face open. Poor mother on my birthday had to call the same EMTs to come scrape me off the floor, bloodied as fuck. And I was 
absolutely incapacitated this time. And once again, the doctor was like, you're gonna die, kid. <laughs> like, what are you doing, dude? Um, and that was when they first introduced the idea of uh, residential rehab, okay. inpatient rehab, which I loathed the idea of. Um, I The last thing I wanted to do was... was it, it would eliminate drink. all of my it would eliminate <laughs> all of my opportunities to drink right I, I was like oh my god this is how they're gonna get me but I somehow yeah. managed to evade that reality for another month I said no guys try me on this Vivitrol Vivitrol um is a drug that is injected into your ass that is a craving curver so okay. it genuinely is it's used for uh heroin addicts and alcohol addicts um uh, I should say opioid addicts and alcohol addicts. Um, and an amazing discovery I made through my whole journey with this are the parallels between opiate addicts and alcoholics. Yeah. Um, the, so many incredible, incredible parallels. Um, and I'll just say this now, later in, in, in recovery, hearing heroin and meth addicts come up to me after a class or a, a meeting saying holy shit you, your story is is remarkable your your stories of withdrawal are sound so much worse than mine to to hear and to, and to watch their reactions to to me kind of telling the story i'm telling you now to to watch them realize that alcohol can cause the same thing as this illicit schedule one narcotic stigmatized substance right it can cause the same if not worse effects in people it just happens to be legal um yeah. because because it's it's never not prohibition didn't work that's all i needed to say about that. <laughs> um, so so um, a month goes by again yep, yep and at this point i've lost the three jobs that i've managed to find for myself um, I've clearly stopped being able to, uh, succeed in this setting at, at home with my mom. She has reached her, her breaking point, rightfully so. I mean, she should have reached it in the first week. This was like the third month. Um, and I had reached a breaking point with her and I just kind of finally said, fuck this. I'm going to drink. If I want to drink, go fuck yourself. And she said, all right, go fuck yourself too. She would never say that. Um, but it was kind of that like, I, you're not welcome in this house unless you're willing to get the right help, which at that point had been decided was going to be real good old fashioned rehab. Um, so I left and I had somehow booked a live music gig <laughs> at a Kava bar in my hometown. I managed my mom wouldn't let me in the house to get my guitar. She wouldn't let me bring, she wouldn't bring me my, my music book. Like I managed to get a guitar the same day, show up at this gig, play this gig. I was in bad shape to the point where even after the gig was over, I went up to the guy who'd hired me and I said, look, man, just that was not my best. And of course I blamed it all on my mother for keeping my guitar from me and my music from me and all this shit when none of it was her fault. And I said, look, just pay me half. 
like a total tool. I, I didn't deserve a damn penny for that show. Um, it was real bad. And I had had three other gigs booked with the same promoter and they all got canceled that night. Okay. So I, not having anywhere else to go, I called someone that I knew had a crush on me that I had met recently. Um, and I needed a roof. I needed a bed. I needed somewhere to stay for that night because I was too drunk to figure anything out about my life that night. I mean, I was talking about like, like move, like just getting a bus and going to San Francisco. Like I was just done. I was ready to just like, st- Run it was away. that level of talk about rock bottom. I, I had nowhere. Once again, three months after not having anywhere here on the East coast, I had nowhere on the West coast. Uh, even though I did just nowhere that I was going to be allowed to drink. Um, so I wake up the next morning in this person's house and I put on my shoes without socks because who knew where my socks were? And I remember my feet were just like so blistered from, from having walked all day before because I didn't have a car. I had nowhere to go. I was just in town and I knew I had this gig that night. I was trying to find a guitar. I was doing all this on foot. I was just walking around Davis, California figuring out my life step by step. So my, I remember my feet were just horribly blistered. I had a plastic bag, $50 that I'd been paid the night before. And that was what I had. That was, that, those were my belongings. The clothes on my back, this plastic bag that I think had a Pedialyte seat. At least I knew how to hydrate. Pedialyte <laughs> and 50 bucks. And I managed to spend that $50 very quickly that day. Um, so then I had no money and it ultimately got to a point where I was drunk at this shopping center that I had grown up at, at this restaurant, one of my favorite restaurants at home. And I was like, you know what? Like last supper kind of mentality. I'm going to spend this last $50 and just fucking go in. Right. And I finished the food. I was, I, I had got, I had kind of tipped over into the r- drunk part of intoxication and I called someone that I someone else that I knew was in town that that had a car and I said and again this is a very muddy memory I have spent so long teeny trying to remember exactly what went through my mind in this moment because this was the fucking moment okay this is the moment this was the fucking moment and I kind of I kind of glided up to it casually and but no this is this is it and I I I called her and I said, Hey, I, I had, I had been open with this person about my, my amount of drinking uh, at this point in our friendship. And I said, look, I need help. I said those words and I had never said those words before. I said, I need help. And it's time. I remember saying the, the term it's time uh, a lot that afternoon. And she came and picked me up. And I, I said, hey, uh, can we go to the park? Because I don't know the next time I'm going to be allowed outside. Can we just go to the park for a little bit? And she and I went and sat in the park that was next to my high school. And I don't remember m- most of this. She, she has had to tell me uh, post-fact. Um, but she drove me home and walked me inside and I walked up to my mom and I said, can we go tomorrow? You know, 
And she said, yeah. So I remember that my last drink, God damn it. So even though all this had happened, oh. right? Even though all this had happened, I knew that I had poured vodka into a fucking kombucha bottle and put it in the back of the fucking fridge. And I went drank down it. and I got that goddamn kombucha bottle and I drank it. So my last drink was at midnight 19, 12, 19 a.m. on July 13th, 2019. <laughs> Hold on, it's on my arm. Yeah. Another uh, tattoo. Sorry, mom. <laughs> 19, 2019. Um, Holy shit. Which, so we woke up the next morning. Mom drove me the 30 minutes to the nearest rehab facility. And that's where we were greeted with the harsh reality of rehab in the state of California. And I'm sure it's way better there than it is other places in the country. Um, and the way that wait lists work. Um, I, there was one facility that I could have gone into that day, but even after doing intake and like asking me questions, uh, a, a process I'd gone through quite a bit through all of my visits with medical professionals in the, in the preceding months. Um, they, they're, they they grade your level of severity. They they have a grading system. Right. That they that that they then prioritize. It's like triage at the hospital. Precisely. And genuinely, my triage did not determine that I could be let in anywhere immediately except for this one location. And the the, the folks at the at the facility said this is not the kind of place for, for, for Cody. He, he, he will not find success there. It is for people who genuinely have nowhere to sleep the next, you know, where I would have been had it not been for my mom. Um, but we'll put him on this wait list for these other facilities, but you also have to call every single day of the week and tell them that you still want to be on the wait list because that's how they weed out the people that yeah. don't actually need it or want it because you have to want it some some part of you has to want it um and at this point i i truly was like for the first time in my life i am done i mean i was just i again i've spent so much time trying to trying to think about what what that switch flip was what that was what caused that finally because i used to daydream teeny i used to sit in my as the lyric in one of my most recent songs says, I manifested dreams from my sweat-soaked sheets where I never got in trouble and my means came free. I would, I would daydream about the possibility of not drinking. I would genuinely sit and daydream while wasted about a world where I could not drink. Um, and, and I don't know what it was that made, that made that switch for me because whatever it was, it has stuck with me. Um, so I am put on this wait list. I call every single day for weeks, but in the meantime, they admit me to outpatient rehab, which is a group 
that meets, there are two levels and I opted for the more severe involved level. I said, whatever you can give me that is the most at once, please get me started on this. Um, once again, the least patient person on the planet, I want quick fixes. That, that has since changed. Um, but I started going that very day to my recovery meetings um, that were more classes than meetings. They were absolutely classes led by a, a, a medical professional. I, I don't recall what their exact title is, but a, a, a therapist and, and medical professional. They've got a whole medical team at the facility. Um, and it, me, it met four times a week for four hours a day. Um, wow. Nine to one. And I watched a lot of people come and go through that program. Um, I ended up finding a level of success within that program that by the time my name came up for residential, they needed to reevaluate me and I no longer even qualified for it oh. because I had found so much success in this outpatient. Now, that being said, I credit the majority of that success, not just to the fact that I was finally in a re rehabilitation program, not, not an AA meeting, not, not a, a medically led program, right? Um, but because when I was released from said program, my mom was waiting there in the car to pick me up and monitor me and take me home and make sure that I was sticking to my program. Because at that point, she had zero reason to trust any fiber of me. I, I, I mean, zero. And, and, to, and to grow trust from nothing is, will forever be one of the most difficult things I've ever accomplished. Yeah. Um, because here's the thing, Tini. I had to make a really big decision. I made it at the end of my first week in rehab. Um, to genuinely, to the best of my human ability, stop lying. Yeah. Bl blanket statement. Stop lying. Because it went hand in hand with your it. yeah alcoholism. I I often and this this will be a little, this will liven things up a little bit. The the way <laughs> that I always remember when I started trying to stop lying because golly it was so hard to me and so many times I'd have to stop myself in real time with people. And I still do this and say, hey, you know what? That thing I just said, that wasn't true. I'm sorry. Let me say the, the accurate version of that. And let me tell you, starting out doing that, scariest thing in the world to admit yeah. that you told an untruth, terrifying. But never was I met with anything but gratitude. Whether people knew that what I was trying to recover from or just people. I was never met with anything, but oh, that's really big of you. Wow. Maybe I should try it. You know what I mean? It was, yeah. it, was it, it, it inspired people even then when I was in still in shit shape and had nothing to show for myself, but what they had just seen me do. Because for a long time, that's all I had to go off of was what I had done in the previous hours of that day. Um, and talk about, talk about one day at a time. They, that, that's another... For those of you not in the sobriety community, that's another big coined phrase of, of Alcoholics Anonymous is one day at a time, one step at a time, 
one hour at a time, one minute at a time, one second at a time. It, it yeah. really is that mentality. Now for me, I've adopted that for my life at this point, just outside of my sobriety exclusively. Um, I, do, I do take everything in my life one day at a time um, uh, for the most part. And because it leaves me open and available to opportunities like this. So I'm going to this outpatient rehab program four times a week, four hours a day. Um, there's another group that meets with, at, a, at a different time, uh, less frequently and for a short amount of time. But again, I had opted in for like, give me as much as you can. Um, I, when, I, when I got my first stage of completion finished, they, they, there, are, there are five stages of completion within this specific program. Um, and you get a certificate each time and you get another, like, I think the first, the first stage I got a candle and it represented something. It, it's, it's a lot of programs use these, these mementos as milestones, um, to represent different phases of, of sobriety, because there is a through line in all rehab programs, including AA, there, there, there is a formula, a foundational formula that, that, that can be found in most of these programs. It's just about the the meat that sits on top of that formula that is different um and so i moved through this program really fast um i don't mean that i moved through it quickly on a calendar i mean as far as absorbing material working the program that they were giving me now this is a very different program than when people say they're working the steps of aa uh, again i had not found success with aa so i tried something else um and this, Cody, like what, what are those classes without like diving too deep? Right. Like, what are you talking? What are you studying in those moments? Um, we're studying the science behind addiction. Okay. Um, now keep in mind, I was, I was the only for, for, for many of these months, these five months, essentially that I was in this program, um, for a lot of that time, I was the only person in the group who was there strictly for alcohol. I was with a lot of, of opioid addicts. I was with a lot of meth addicts. Um, there was someone there who would, who needed to stop smoking marijuana. Not be, And again, they weren't working through the chemical addiction to the marijuana. They were working through the trauma and whatever they needed to unpack from their own life that was leading them to feel dependent on whatever substance it was. Um, and again, like I said before, I learned very quickly that it was not the alcohol. It was what was causing me to be drawn to the alcohol in my own life. Um, so did you figure that, that out in those five yeah, months? Well, in that sense of repair is the same across the board for addiction. And so uh, I would show up in the morning, we would do a check-in, uh, everybody, would if they wanted to you know say how it had been for them um and there was always a a, a topic um th there was a whole curriculum that it was laid out um and so every day was a different area of the behemoth that is living a sober life in today's society a lot of it had to do with preparing you for social situations in which you might feel pressured to drink a lot of it was were, they were biology lessons, no joke. An human anatomy and biology, teaching you about what you had been doing to your body, why you didn't want to do it anymore, and how to fucking fix it. 
I mean, I learned a lot about nutrition. Now, granted, a lot of that was through my own research because I was, I was going to class essentially, and then going home and continuing to do homework. I mean, I was really talk about a, a shift. And, and that is something that I have not heard a lot of people talk about in a similar way to me is that I really did have a switch flip. And after that happened, Tini, I, I hear people talk about cravings all the time. Yeah. I have not found a parallel to that since that switch flipped. Really? Since, since getting sober, since I started going to that rehab program, since that day, I, I have not experienced a parallel to a physical craving for alcohol. Not once, Teeny. And I have told everyone that I've talked to how confused I am by this. Um, which lends itself right back around to what I said about everyone's experience being different. Yeah. I'm, I'm not saying that that other people who are living a sober life because of an alcohol addiction should be fucking bartenders. I, I, I'm actually hesitant to tell some people that I am because it, I'm afraid that they'll take that as permission to be as well, which could then lead to relapse for them. It's just my, I hear what you're saying. it's my lot that I set. I made that a goal for myself because I love bar culture. I, I've been a bartender the majority of my adult life. I, I, I'm good at it. I enjoy the camaraderie and the, the, just the raw cultural interaction, experimentation, innovation that happens in places where people gather and often drink. Um, I didn't want to lose that. And so I started telling my therapist in, in rehab from the very beginning, how important that was to me. And he was like, all right, Tonto, like, whoa there, buddy. One slow step at a time, roll. again, slow your roll. But we kept that as an element of our conversation moving forward. Interesting. Um, and never with it, never with it being spoken about as like, we're working toward this, but we talked about my desire for that to become a reality. There's a difference because we weren't, we weren't implanting false hope in my mind anymore. And he, I, I'm very, again, very lucky that I, through this rehab program, I was paired up with a, with a guy that, that I got along with incredibly well. Um, and, and he genuinely took what I said about the sober life that I ideally wanted to live. He took it to heart and helped me make it a reality. Um, but they were also watching my dedication to this program. Uh, I said before, I watched a lot of people come in and out of it and you stuck with it and i stuck with it and i never missed a day not one in five months i didn't miss one day and that's going from a track record of being fired almost religiously from employment for being late or missing shifts talk about an immediate sense of reward for just a simple decision of removing one element. Now, obviously, nothing was simple about it. I was working my ass off in these classes. I, I was- Yeah, devoted. like how were you feeling? So how are you feeling um, physically? At the, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's an interesting question, you know? Because in so many ways, I was feeling great. 
Yeah, um, great. But in, <laughs> but in other ways, I was feeling alien because, great, exactly. I think that's <laughs> a catchphrase on this show. Oh man, um, I, uh, I, was, I, was, I was feeling confused because as, as foreign as this alcoholic's body felt in a lot of ways, it had also become comfortable. Yeah, that and makes I, and sense. I been, and I had felt the, the effects of withdrawal for so long. I had just accepted that my body couldn't do certain things anymore. Um, and then to watch them start to come back without me doing any work, like, and I mean, without me doing any work physically, like I, I've always been into fitness, but obviously that had fallen off in the years leading up to my sobriety. Um, I'd gained a lot of weight, um, but I had made it a goal to, to get healthy again. You know, it wasn't necessarily like get the six pack back, but it was to get healthy from the inside out this time. No quick fixes on the outside, no Photoshop, no, no waxes, no, nothing against waxes, but I'm just saying like, I, I wanted, I wanted to make my insides healthy. That was the real priority. And, yeah, and, and you I, were did. I, was dying. To, I was dying. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so I, I, I did, I started running slowly at first and I, flash forward, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a certified coach now. Um, and so people often ask me, or, you know, how did you do it when I, when I share elements of this story with them? Um, or they say, I hate running. I can't run. I'm a slow runner, but you have such long legs. You you're just built for it. And I remind them that when I started running after getting sober, I was running like 10 minutes at a time, like half a mile in 10 minutes. Cause I was in such bad shape, but I stuck with it. And a few months later, I mean, this is not an exaggeration. I was running every day and like literally working at it little by little. I had to force myself to be patient after years of an all or nothing mentality. After years of a hundred yeah, to I just zero, I had to get over it. I had to find a way to be okay with slow and steady progress. And it was frustrating. I screamed a lot. It was great that I lived out in the middle of nowhere and didn't have neighbors. I played a lot of really loud guitar, shitty guitar, but loud guitar. Um, <laughs> Therapeutic. I, I, you know, yeah, I did. I, I allowed myself to do what I needed instead of drinking to feel better. I experimented. I started skating again. I certain things worked, certain things didn't work. I started painting that didn't work until later, <laughs> but I, <laughs> you know, I, I, um, I, and I started writing music and that, that worked, that worked right off the bat. Um, because I could finally organize my thoughts. Now I hadn't, I hadn't started being medicated appropriately at this point because I hadn't actually seen a psychiatrist until I finished the program. Okay. So I, I graduate this program and uh, I have made some incredible friends. I actually uh, am in touch with, with a couple of people who, who also finished the program just after I did. Um, because at this point, five months later, I had had the chance, the opportunity to graduate, but had opted not to and started the curriculum over again. Because the thought of graduating that program gave me such a sense of responsibility that I didn't feel ready for. Oh. That instead of instead of biting off more than I could chew, which even now I do to a fault, my friends will all agree. Um, I I took a step back and I took a breath and I 
I thought to myself, are you actually ready for this? Because you have put way too much into this to leave early. So I actually did the program almost two full months extra. Um, and then I finally, they were like, dude, you're in such good shape. Like you can come back anytime, like not to the meetings, but like come back and see us anytime. Um, but you're, you're ready. Now to hear that from a full team that five months earlier had watched my mom partially carry me in. Um, that's an incredible thing. Uh, after feeling, after feeling so harshly judged by everyone around you, whether they were judging you or not, you felt judged to, to feel seen rather than judged to, to feel like the authentic things that I had been putting my energy to were going noticed and appreciated by people who were appreciating them for the sake of my well-being, not their own benefit. It was, it was a revelation, truly. And I, I, uh, that, that, that program saved my life. And to this day, through all of the success I have found since then, um, which it's, it's a strange thing again, and I'll always just, I won't say always, it'll take me a while longer to be comfortable not giving this disclaimer before talking about my own success. I, it, it, I'll always feel a little narcissistic and uncomfortable saying that, even though people should be proud, you should all be proud of everything that you're doing in your day-to-day -day fucking life. I think more people need to celebrate the little victories more often. Pat yourself on the back. If you're proud of something you accomplished, tell someone about it. And if they don't wanna hear about it, find someone who wants to hear about it because they're the people that should be in your life. And um, it, it, that perspective has stayed with me. And, and for that, I am forever grateful. So if we're, if we're gonna, <laughs> I know you've got another thing to head off to, but if we're gonna, if we're gonna maybe uh, turn this into a three-parter, uh, you're gonna have to convince me that it's okay that I continue to talk about myself, but it will be a lot about um, the pandemic in, in sobriety. Um, and we want to see of, and hear where you're at day to day now, Cody, all the things, so many things. And you know what? I'd also like, after talking about all that, I could use, I could use a little more recent history, uh, yeah. storytelling time, you know, cause some pretty remarkable things have, have come across my table in the last two years and, uh, two and a half years. And, uh, yeah. Wow. Incredible. You heard it here first, Podsters. Part three coming at you next week. I have never done anything like this on the show before. And I really want to give Cody the opportunity and space to tell his story the way he wants to tell his story. We had no intention of going beyond one episode. And you have to remember that he is telling this for the first time outside of therapy and the conversations that he may have had with friends and family and people that he trusts, he's telling this for the first time. There is so much processing going on on his end. And I really want to give his story the integrity that it deserves. And I'm just so fucking honored that he's chosen Are You Okay to tell his story. So thank you, Cody. We're going to be chatting again next week and we're going to get to the good stuff. What is it like to live a sober life after you have overcome so much.